Well, good morning, everyone. I welcome those of you in Palmerton, Lee Heighton, and those of you online today. We are excited to be able to celebrate the things of the Lord together with you. And right here in this ministry center in Cherryville, what a wonderful looking crowd. Let's put our hands together and thank the Lord for the privilege of worship today. Can we do that? Thank you, Jesus. It's wonderful to be together today. Now, if you had to draw a picture of the word stress, what would you draw? I kind of think my summary would be a plate of spaghetti, a winding string going everywhere and all over the place. I don't like spaghetti to start with, but it just, it's just like winding every, just a big pile of wound up tight, nothing yuck happening right there before my very eyes. That would be one of my pictures of it. If you were to write down the reasons you bite your fingernails, for those of you that are biters, any of you biters? I'm a biter. Any of you biters? If you would write down the reasons, the top reasons why you bite your nails, what would they be? Did you know a recent survey in October of just this past October, there was a survey of people across the nation, and of that survey, the top five things that are bringing stresses Three of them, the top, is national issues. The third is national issues, and the fifth is national issues. You know what the second and the fourth were? Health issues. Personal, long-term health issues. I found that interesting. Young people, number one on the survey that I read the other day was self-image. Self-esteem fell way down the list, but body image was real high on the list for teens. We all have different points where we would say that we have stress. As a matter of fact, I heard about a fellow that went to the hospital and, and to see his doctor, and when he got there, he said, I just hurt all over. I hurt all over everywhere. I touched my leg, I hurt. I touched my stomach, I hurt. I touched my shoulder, I hurt. I touched my neck, I hurt. I touched my head, I hurt. I think I'm dying. And the doctor did a thorough examination on him. And when he got finished with the examination, he says, I have good news. And have bad news. And he said, well, give me some good news. Well, number one, you're not dying. And number two, you have a broken finger. <laughs> Few of you will catch that along the way. But sometimes we worry about the wrong things in our lives. Sometimes we worry about things that never happen. Sometimes we worry about things very little that we really ought to give more attention to, perhaps. I don't know where you find yourself on life's exam of stresses. But today, our passage comes from this passage, our scripture comes from this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're in a message series where our choices determine our outcomes, and I think they really affect how we handle stress. So let's look at this today about how we choose to handle the stresses in our life. As a matter of fact, from this passage today, I want to look at what I'm calling three interactions that happen between us and God that show us how we can better handle our stresses in this life. He gives to us in verse 5 and 6, if you're following in your outline there, He gives to us the first thing that we should understand, and that is we need to lean into God with our stresses. Notice what He says here in the Scripture, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. <clears throat> Now, when it talks about God's mighty hand, His mighty hand is cited throughout the Bible. 
cited in various places, various ways, making strong reference to the fact that God knows where we are, God knows how to help us, and God knows everything that's going on. Here, I believe he is saying to us a couple of things about the mighty hand. He's saying to us that there is a mighty hand of blessing. That is a powerful, definable awareness that we could not help ourselves, but God stepped into our our situation, and God somehow intervened with us. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 8, the children of Israel are receiving instruction and testimony from God, and it says there, for the Lord Almighty, making clear identification of who He is, the Lord Almighty brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He didn't just bring us out, He brought us out with His mighty hand and His outstretched arm. With great terror, that's great awe, and miraculous signs and wonders, that's incredible displays of His power. And so right now they're being called to roll back in their mind to those moments where God has supernaturally intervened, the mighty hand of God in blessing. If I ask you today to look into your own life and to think about those moments when God maybe gave to you a mighty hand of blessing, would you have a story, a testimony you could share? Would you have something in your life where you could say, you know, I I didn't know what to do, I didn't know how to make it, and I prayed out to God, called out to God, and in my distress, God came in with the answer. God came in with favor. He gave me provision. He gave me blessing. He did something for me no one else offered to do, no one else could do, and He did something to settle everything down for His purpose and His glory. Do you have a testimony like that? I have some. And he says to them, they have some. But there's also the mighty hand of God in character development. And I think we might be more quick to pass this one because we don't get too excited about it. This is where we think about Moses. Moses was involved 40 years in character development. God has told him, I want you to set my people free. I want you to be the leader to help me out here. I'm going to do the supernatural, but I need you to do the natural part. And Moses, he took things into his own hands and he murdered someone. He messed up. And now he's 40 years out in the wilderness caring for sheep. And in that time, God does some real refining in Moses' life. He does some real development in Moses' life. I read something some years ago that I found helpful to me, and that is this. God's delays are delays of preparation. I don't like God's delays. Do you? I don't appreciate God's delays. I remember when I was thinking about getting a a girlfriend, finding somebody that would be my lady, you know, and the one that I would be excited to spend my life with. And and I remember praying, oh God, you know all about that and what's supposed to be. And I remember whenever uh, God said to me, just distinctly, just in the inner voice said, next year's your year. (laughs) I thought, well, I have to wait a year, a year of delay, of development. And you know what he did? He got her ready and he got me ready. She was dating a dumb nut and had to break that off. <laughs> and if you're watching today, oh, you're smart and all that. But anyway, she had to end that situation so she could grow and get smarter. And her vision could be clarified. And then she could know that I was a right. And so it happened. Delays of preparation. You know, you take a, a kid in fifth grade. Delays of preparation until they get to walk across that stage in twelfth grade. That's a long time. Delays of preparation. Joseph, coat of many colors, his dad said, you're the real deal. God says, hey, you're awesome. 
And he thinks he is, and he shows off in front of his brothers. They don't think he's that cool, and so they sell him off into slavery. And you know the story how he bounces around from one place to another. You remember he goes to Potiphar's house, and he's a servant there, gets hit on by Mrs. Potiphar, and then he gets thrown into prison. So he gets all these delays from all those dreams he thought would happen quickly, but God's delays are delays of preparation. And there Joseph spent some time, about 12, 13 years, in some sort of preparation that God was developing him in ways he didn't understand, but eventually he would understand. And so when he meets up with the baker and the butler back there in the prison, he learned the ways of the king. And when he came into the king's house, in the Pharaoh's house, he knew how to act. God's delays of preparation character development under God's mighty hand. Now, he also says something else very interesting, and probably we don't really like this too much, but he says it. I'm going to share it. He says this. He says, humble yourselves. How do you humble yourself? Well, to some, that might mean one thing. To another, something totally different. I don't know what it means to you. It says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 11. The Scripture says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. David Jeremiah put this in a beautiful way when he says it this way, to humble yourself, you don't think less of yourself, but you think about yourself less. That's interesting. Very interesting. You know, you've gotten into conversation with some people, and the more they use that I, 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 you start thinking, hmm, insecurity or something's going on here. What is that? I, I, I. When they start saying we and start talking about others and including them in the conversation, then the eyes kind of fall into proper perspective, don't they? And the stories don't always have to be matched, and God begins to minister in our situation. Lean into God with your stresses. Max Lucado said many years ago, he used to take yearly trips to Brazil, a longtime missionary point, and he would fly with a pilot who had several villages in the remote area where he would fly to. And that was a four-seat plane. And it seemed that a big wind could blow it apart. And one day they were on a particular round of visits. And as they're on this way, flying up in the sky, Max was a little bit distressed in this plane because it's such a T-90 little plane. And it's so so windy and so everything else around him, he thinks that, is this really going to make it? He could see himself falling out of the sky or crashing some way and the piranhas getting him down below or perhaps some sort of a big old snake would nail him. He was thinking about all the things that could happen to him and he was fidgety and he was squirming around and he couldn't get comfortable. And finally, the pilot who was being annoyed by him <laughs> looked over to him and said, we won't face anything I cannot handle. You might as well trust me to fly the plane. Today I say to you, you will not face anything God cannot handle in your life. You might as well let him pilot you. Lean into God. Then there's another thing in verse 7. Look at it. Throw all your stresses onto God. Now the biblical instruction here is we are to cast now, what in the world does it mean when it says we are to cast? Well, you know the Scriptures are written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. We know that. And uh, we understand that those words could be hard to translate into our language sometimes. And we do our best attempt to either get a phrase close or an exact word by the Scriptures as they were originally written. But right here, when it says to cast, it means to throw or to toss 
or to turn over to. So we're going to cast, look at that next word, all our cares and anxieties on him. Little cares, big cares, and we're going to trust him, him to be Lord over all these situations of our life. Can I get a witness in the house if you're tracking with this? Oh, my stars, this is really good. Now, human reality is it's hard to follow that biblical instruction, right? It's hard to do that. It's hard for you. It's hard for the person sitting behind you to cast your care on God. I'm going to ask Justin over here. Would you join me up here real quick? Justin, thank you for doing that. Uh, let's give him a hand. He's a state patrolman. He's a wonderful guy. He's a friend of mine. His wife cuts my hair and stay right there. And... Um, and, and uh, they have one of our dogs that we had in our litter of Australian shepherds. I mean, it's it just, these are my friends. He's also on our church board. Now, he's God, and I'm not, all right, in my illustration. I've got little frustrations you're going to catch, so don't fall off the stage, all right? That would not be good. Ready, set. Here's a little anxiety that I have that is gnawing at me this morning, so I just cast it over onto God. Say, God, in, in my prayer, I say, there's that... There's that situation, and I mentioned what it is, and you know all about it. And Lord, there's this one, and I give him that one. And there's this one, and I give him that one. And there's this one, and I give him that one. Now, I've got this odd situation. Uh, let's say raising the money for these cameras. Thanks for helping today, but raising the money for the cameras. And I don't like to stand up here and always talk about that, but in the Bible, it talks about money all the time. So it's an odd shape something. It's a little bigger rock than some of those small things. Well, you can put those aside there. I'm not going to really tell God what to do, but you know, <laughs> for my illustration. So I say, well, I don't know what to do with this. It's pretty awkward and all of that kind of stuff. There you go. God, I don't know really where it's coming from, but you do. As a matter of fact, when we were raising money for the parking lot, I came in from the flagpole up the steps, went up into my office, sat down and said, or on my way up, I said, God, that parking lot has to be redone. We don't have the money. You've got to supply the need. I went into my office. I sat down and not much longer later, they came in and they said, are you sitting down, pastor? I said, I am. And they showed me a $150,000 check toward that project. And then, does everybody have a weird relative? <laughs> if you have a weird relative, say yes. yes. Now, if I converse that, you know, just reverse that question and say, how many of you don't have a weird relative? That means you are the weird relative. <laughs> but I've got this weird relationship, don't know what to do with it, right? Maybe you all have one. Maybe you have one over there. I don't know what to do with it. God, here it is. I've got this situation that is just really messy, really bad messy. As a matter of fact, it's all broken and just spilled out. We, we've messed it up. We've tried to work it out. We don't know what to do. It's a mess. We get legal issues, whatever, in our lives. We don't know what to do with it. So all I have, basically, is just a rag that I mop it up with, and I just say, God, here it is. I should have brought it to you a long time ago, but I didn't. And then we've got the mother load, this one right here. Maybe this is a health impasse, a relationship impasse. Maybe it's a burden. Maybe it's an addiction. God, cast all your anxieties, your stresses, your cares, your difficulties, all are words of interchange for that. Cast them onto him. Now, our temptation is to go back and start doing this. 
This morning, I went through a long list of stresses and anxieties that I prayed and turned over to God, and I handed them to Him, and thank you. And uh, I said, here they are. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to handle them. Give me favor in the moments and wisdom. And I was praying this, and then I was reading back through the outline of my message I had drafted up for today. And pretty soon my phone beeped, and there was a prayer statement on there from Pastor Scott. I'm praying for you for this, 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 and this. And I said, my stars. That fits right along with what I was praying, what I've been believing and thanking. And if any two people agree on something, my goodness, look what could happen with that. Throw all of your anxieties on him. It takes practice. Joachim and Maria Lundstrom. He is a pastor in Sweden. I've just come acquainted with who he is, so I don't know a lot about him, but I was fascinated by some of the stuff that I did learn. At 17 years old, though he grew up in a church that was very nominal, his dad was a priest, he did not know Christ and didn't know he needed to trust Christ. He thought the Bible was just a book. He thought God was just a nice story. He was invited by a friend to go to a camp. He went to the camp. He was tricked, he felt, because his friend had told him there would be girls and there would be food. He thought he was going to a party. It was a camp, a church camp. And the preacher got up and talked about God. As if God is real and you can have a real relationship. And he said, the further he went, the more I wanted it. And at the end of the service, I went forward and said, I want him. And he said, I went back home. My dad said, son, sit down. What's wrong with you? You're different. He said, I explained the thing that had happened to me. And my dad said, I want that too. And his dad, a priest at a church, leading a church, did not know Christ. New religion, new textbook, did not know Christ. Do you know Christ? Personal relationship with Christ, what would keep you from that? He died on a cross for you. Not just for mental ascent, but to receive him. And Pastor Joachim, he received him. It transformed him. At 17, he started leading his friends to Christ. They had no real church in the area, so he opened up a church. He didn't even know how. He opened up a church. He started leading. Today, they have 850 churches in some of the hardest to go into countries of the world. Places like Iran and other places. He pastors there in Sweden. He says they just teach their people to meet the needs of the people and to point them to Christ. He told a story I was fascinated by. He said a Muslim fellow from Afghanistan had his family basically putting them down for the night. Everybody was getting quiet and they receive a knock at the door. And it was a knock from a commander in the Afghan army. And he said, I want your 12-year-old daughter as my wife. Tomorrow I'll be back to get her. The African man said, she's only 12. She's not ready to be a wife. Please don't. I'm coming back tomorrow to get her. The African man and his house were stressed and distressed, didn't know what to do. Throw all your stresses to God. He said, a man went into his little prayer room laid down his mat as he had always done and began to pray to his God of his faith. 
And he said, the God of my faith has never shown me kindness. And so in deep, dark desperation, maybe you're in dark desperation today. He said, in deep, dark desperation. He said, I heard that the Christian God was love and kindness. So I called out to him. And I said, if you're real, show me help and what to do. I don't know what to do. They're going to take my daughter. This can't happen. God, help. Have you ever prayed a desperate prayer to God? I mean a desperate one. You didn't care who heard. You didn't care what happens around you. You lost all pride. And in that moment, there was a bright light and a man standing before him. Oh, you know who that was. The Lord himself. And he began to speak to this man, and he told him several things. He said, number one, when you are hungry, I will give you food. When you are naked, I will give you clothes. When you are hopeless, I will give you hope. And when you're in darkness, I will give you light. Wake up all your family and head south, and I will be with you. He got his family up, and right then they all began to go, and they went to the south. They went over to the Mediterranean, the edge of that. They got on this rubber uh, boat that they found, and they began to sail, and they were finally making their way over into Europe. And when they finally come over to the place where their little raft would land, fast forward, they get out of it, and they walk up toward this welcome center at Europe. And as they're going up near this welcome center, not really knowing what to do, they're pretty well lost. There were a bunch of people from one of the churches of Joachim who were standing there with signs. And you know what the sign said? If you are hungry, we have food. If you are naked, we have clothes. If you are hopeless, we have hope. If you're in darkness, we have light. And the dad said, they must know what we're supposed to do because the man told me they would have the answers. And he went over to them. And fast forward five years. He and all of his family came to Jesus Christ in faith, and his daughter is now 17 years old, and her family is intact. I don't know how your story will turn out, but I know this, you need to throw all. Well, can you handle one more? It's kind of hard to hear online, but can you handle one more here if you can? All right, there's one more. Verse 4, verse 6, verse 10. Let God ease your stresses. Notice what verse 6 says. God will lift you up. God will lift you up. This is powerful. It says here, He will lift you up in due time. This is God. That's the person, the promise. Lift you up. That's a personal impact. In due time, that's speaking about this is going to happen. God, to lift us up in due time. Moses, after 40 years out in the wilderness, got lifted up in due time, and he came out and he began to lead the people in God's time with God's blessing and God's purposes. And when he did that, God led him out, and it was beautiful. 
Joseph finally got thrown back out of prison, not thrown into prison. And when he came out of prison, he was able to do everything they asked of him. And then he was put second in command. His due season came whenever God elevated him at the proper time in the proper way for the proper purpose. And God knows how to do the same thing for you and for me. And when we have stood the test and we have done the due diligence, he's going to be able to bring us through in a way that brings honor and glory to him. He says here, he will lift us up in due season. That's why we have humbled ourselves under his mighty hand, that he might develop us, might prepare us for blessing. Look at verse 10. And God will share with you in his glory. New Living Translation puts it this way. In his kindness, God has called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, look what he's going to do. He'll restore, support, strengthen, and place you on a firm foundation in due time. Go back to verse 4. Look at verse 4. There is an end to the situations of life, and verse 4 talks about it. It says, in the end, you receive a crown of life. In due season, in verse 6 of our passage here, where it says that God may lift you up into, into his blessing in due time. That's why we've humbled ourselves. It says here, he will do it. So when will he do it? When is your due time? When does God ease those stresses? Mm. He may do it right now. He may do it tomorrow. He may do it next week, next month, next year. And for some, it will happen when you see him face to face. You'll be released from a broken body, released from a mind that is broken, released from all the pains of the relationships. You'll be released, but in due season, whenever that due season is, it's worth the wait. It's worth the preparation because God's reward are incredible. They are magnificent. They are beyond description. They defy it all. After Jesus had gone through the cross, he then experienced a crown in the due season, if you will. Zig Ziglar, Christian man, passed now, but he said this, influenced many of us. He said, those who leave everything in God's hands will eventually see God's hand in everything. I love it. Powerful. Embrace it. Jim Collins, in his good to great book, he writes something to the effect of this. Trust and ultimate victory gives ultimate courage. And he tells a story about Admiral James Stockdale, the highest-ranking prisoner of war in the Vietnam conflict, eight years at Hanoi. Jim sat down with him and began to interview him and said, how in the world... When so many other people died, how did you maintain your sanity to the point that you were able one day to walk out of there? And Stockdale said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that I would get out. But I also would prevail in the end and turn this experience into a defining moment of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I want to say to you today, as 2023 happens, we have choices. I want to encourage you to cast all of your cares on Him. He cares for you. And in due season, He will lift you up if you do not faint. Grow weary. Quit. But in time, He'll lift you up. How? I don't know. His blessing? Yep. Hmm. Great? Yes. Worth it healing 
cathartic, supernatural, great provision, some way. Father in heaven, in Jesus' mighty name, we humble ourselves before you in this moment and give thanks to you for every time you have heard and answered our cry, our prayers, our hopes, our hurts, our burdens, our joys, and our sorrows. You have been there so many times and have just intersected us at the road of opportunity and defeat. So Lord, some may be standing there today and not really know which way to go. Help them to invite you into the center of the situation that you might bring a solution that brings honor to you in due season. And Lord, give us a patience to wait for your work. You know how to minister to us beyond our human anxieties and stresses. You made us. You know us. This is your word you have called us to adhere to, so we do. Lead us in a plain path. For on our own, we would misstep, and listening to all the voices, we would get confused. So we listen to you and cast our care on you. (laughs) In Jesus' name.